We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Mayfield to the Browns, Barkley to the Giants, and running backs and quarterbacks flying off the board. All that and more on Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. And we're pleased to let you know that going forward, Matt and I are going to be hosting Rotoviz Radio for you, getting you ready for the regular season. We'll be here every week in season, and we're just really excited to uh, bring you this show. So, Matt, you clearly are a mainstay of Rotoviz Radio, but how's it feel to be back on the flagship? Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It was uh, not quite three years ago, but I'm getting pretty close. It maybe it was four years ago. I don't even know at this point, but uh, no, four years ago uh, when when John Moore and I kicked this thing off, and uh, yeah, it's good to be back. I feel like I've been back for a while doing the uh, <laughs> the draft series. Uh, it was a slog to get through all of that, but the uh, the guys were awesome with uh, booking out all of the guests and doing the editing. So yeah, it's it's good to be back on the show. Yeah, well, that was awesome stuff. Um, I think that we learned a lot from that. And now the awesome thing is we get to reflect on what we learned during that process and now apply it to what situations on these teams and for these players are going to look like going forward. So I think it makes sense that we start off at quarterback. Everybody knows Baker Mayfield goes to the Browns with the first pick in the draft, and the quarterbacks just started flying after that. We had Sam Darnold go to the Jets at three, Josh Allen to the Bills at seven, the Cardinals made some moves, got Josh Rosen at 10, and then the Ravens rounded out things with pick 32 being Lamar Jackson. So my default is to be pessimistic about every quarterback prospect. I just think it's such a hard position for guys to hit on. Can you give me some reason, given their landing spots, that I should be optimistic as opposed to my default? Oh, man. Well, so the thing is, it's an interesting juxtaposition because I am like perpetually the rookie optimist, which is like it's, it's, a, it's a weakness I have and I fully admit it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't actually love the landing spots. And I think that kind of makes sense that there are quarterbacks and we had four of them taken in the top 10. Uh, just kind of intuitively, because because those teams are picking with high picks, they are not likely to be all that good. Yep. Uh, so in terms of the the landing spots, I'm not uh, hugely optimistic on many of the guys. But ironically, so so two two guys, 
I do think landing in Cleveland is pretty decent for Baker Mayfield because I do think he actually has a pretty uh, good supporting cast. Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry in the slot. Corey Coleman is a first rounder. And then they added Antonio Callaway, who he's not going to be Tyreek Hill, but I think he will have a very specialized role in which they use him. David Njoku is a first round tight end moving into his second season. I think we should see a lot of development out of him. Duke Johnson, one of the best receiving backs in the league. And then I also think he's going to have some pretty good running backs to rely on. Nick Chubb, uh, someone I'm I'm very high on. And then mm-hmm. you also have Carlos Hyde as you know, someone who's decent there. Uh, and then the defense, I think, uh, is going to be improved this year. They were actually very stout against the run last year. And they've added some pieces in the secondary. So if the defense progresses... I think we could see a situation in like a year from now, two years from now, it could actually be a a pretty decent team. And there's the possibility that Baker uh, Baker Mayfield could, you know, to quote unquote redshirt for a season, maybe even just eight games. But I think that could be something that's good for him. So I think that's a good situation in Cleveland. And then I also really like the situation for Lamar Jackson with the Ravens uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's guaranteed to get some time on the bench. I think that's going to be good for him developing behind Joe Flacco. And then on top of that, we have seen the Ravens and, and granted it was different offensive coordinator. It's kind of different, different time, but we've seen the Ravens develop a player who is similar to Lamar Jackson. And that was Tyrod Taylor. He had four years there on the bench as the backup. And then in Buffalo, you know, coming out of, out of, uh, out of Baltimore, he was starter ready. And so I think we could see a system uh, put in place for him to develop into a guy who has a lot of long-term potential. And I just like Lamar Jackson in general as a guy who's young, 21 years old, the youngest Heisman winner trophy, uh, Heisman trophy winner in history. Uh, you know, Michael Vick, I think is the, the comp for him that mm-hmm. I have. Uh, and so I, I think he has a, a lot of potential there too. So I like the idea of him getting a year or two to develop uh, in Baltimore. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's a, a good environment for him. Like, the, you know, the Ravens have an edge and I think Lamar Jackson has an edge too. I think it's just a really nice landing spot for him. Well, you know, you make a lot of good points there, but the thing that I have trouble getting past, there's two things really with Jackson. The first being the throw velocity, which sure. might not matter, but I mean, his is really weak. I think it's down like bottom 5% and the wonder lick is there as well, which right. I know it doesn't always translate. I mean, there are guys right now, such as Cam was pretty low in that. And it's not like every quarterback needs to be high in that, but it does give me concerns about, you know, how his game, he's going to be able to make it translate to the next level. I I don't know, but it sounds like you're thinking that he's going to get past that. Yeah, and, and so it's interesting. I, I like the I like that you brought those up. So the the arm velocity or, or the the speed. Uh, it's interesting because that was something that was brought up last year with Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. and I basically thought even at the time. And so now I, you know I sound like some sort of smug prick who's like, and I thought even then that it wasn't that big of a deal. But <laughs> you know, like I didn't think I I didn't think it was that big of a deal for a couple of reasons. Actually, I should say three three reasons. One, because we've seen uh, older quarterbacks with limited arm strength still have success. And for them, it's because uh, they can throw with such great anticipation. So if that is the type of thrower that Deshaun Watson is, then it could work out for him. And then two, just in terms of the data set, we haven't really seen it. Um, I feel like we hadn't seen enough of a, a sample to say definitively that uh, a a weak arm would necessarily hold him back. I mean, it, intuitively, it makes sense that a stronger arm is better than a weaker arm. But it, just in terms of the data, in terms of what that means for the possibility of future success, I didn't think that we had seen enough of a sample. And then the the third thing was that the um, the quarterbacks who have had NFL success who have had weak arms have actually been very much like Deshaun Watson in their dual threat capability. So Tyrod Taylor and Dak Prescott. Uh, And and so I think we could see the same thing with Lamar Jackson. That's not to say that uh, like, I think it's fine that he has a weak arm. It's just, I think he, he might have the ability to compensate for it in, in a way that still breeds NFL success. Yeah, sure. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I do think that uh, he's one of those players where if you were only paying attention, just watching the highlights, you might think that all he does is run around the field. But there were definitely times he made some great throws, marched his team down the field, doing it with his arm and not just with his leg. 
Briggs. So as we look ahead to 2018, you mentioned that, you know, there's going to be some time for Jackson to develop, but who do you see having some fantasy value next season as a rookie? Is it Josh Rosen, maybe Sam Darnold, even Mayfield, who we talked about earlier? Yeah, it's so, uh, well, it's crazy because Josh Allen is going to be the guy who's starting, I think, from day one out of the five. But I think right. he's the the least prepared. Uh, he's the guy out of that group who probably needs the most time on the bench to develop. Uh, Josh Rosen, I don't believe, is going to play. I think he's going to sit uh, the majority of the season, if not the entire season, behind Bradford. The same with Lamar Jackson uh, in terms of sitting behind Joe Flacco. I think Darnold will also probably sit for a chunk of the season and probably Baker Mayfield too. Although I think it is possible that in a you know Russell Wilson type of way, he could win the starting job outright in training camp and be the starter in week one. And if that happens, clearly Baker Mayfield over Josh Allen. But it, it wouldn't be surprising if four of those guys uh, you know, start the year on the bench. So, you know, I, I mean, I guess you say like, well, if that's the case, then Josh Allen will by default be the one who has right. the most fantasy production. <laughs> but like, he's, he's not anyone I'm interested in at all. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what the worst thing was, is I was sitting there with watching the draft and the, you know, the Buffalo pick is coming up. I said to my wife, I'm just going to lose it if they take Josh Allen. And sure enough, they did. And she's like, well, you know, so we're, we live in New England. We're Patriots fans. She's like, but isn't that good? And I'm like, no, this is just like goes against everything I know as a logical uh, football observer. It killed me. So like you said, even though he might have the best chance, it's one of those I can't get behind. Plus, too, you know, there's still the issue of who he's going to have for weapons around him, especially oh, yeah. in the receiving game is a huge knock on him. So, yeah, horrible landing spot. Yep. So. I just want to let remind everybody out there that we have loads of pieces covering all of these players, pretty much anything you're wondering about with them, we've got you covered. So head over to the listener homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast, get a 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL subscription, which gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and it supports the pod. So Mason Rudolph goes later in the draft than these players that we just talked about. But I like the landing spot for him as a player. Finds himself in Pittsburgh, a solid organization, should have some time to develop behind Roethlisberger, who I believe is 36. He's been in the league 14 years, maybe has a couple more seasons left. And he also gets his main target from college in James Washington. Naturally, they have Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. Who knows where Le'Veon Bell will be long term, but I think that this is a really solid landing spot for him. Are you excited about him or is there maybe another player that went late that you think finds himself uh, situated for success? Yeah, I think after the top five, it's fairly naked, but Rudolph, I mean, he's the only quarterback who was drafted on day two. So I, I think in some ways kind of by default, you know, he's, <laughs> he's the, the, you know, the guy who probably has the most promise outside of the first rounders. And, and for a couple of reasons, one draft position too, as you mentioned, a fantastic landing spot, but then also he was productive in college. I mean, really the, the main knock on him coming out of the big 12 is that he wasn't Baker Mayfield. But right. other than that, he, he pretty much did as much much as any quarterback could have done. So yeah, uh, it's a good spot for him. Like it wouldn't be surprising, you know, they develop him for a couple of years and, you know, Ben Roethlisberger retires at some point would not be surprising if Mason Rudolph gets a shot at the starting job in two to three years. Yeah, I agree. I, I was excited for him. Now the giants, it was interesting to see. They did end up going Saquon Barkley. They end up taking Kyle Laletta out of Richmond in the fourth round. What's your take on team not going quarterback there? I know this is the big thing people have been talking about, but I want to get your take on if you would have taken Barkley there and spent that pick on the running back as opposed to going with the passer. Yeah, I think my, uh, you know, given that this is a Rotovis podcast, my take isn't going to be all that original. Uh, I definitely would not have gone with a running back, even though I like Barkley, you know, as, as a prospect, as a, you know, an all around player. Uh, I think number two is too high for any running back. Um, yeah, I would have uh, I would have gone with um, definitely not Barkley. I would have gone with Darnold. Right. I, I think for me, this is maybe the one time and it feels crazy to say it, but I think that I could defend the pick just in that they are able to go out and get a player that really looks like he should be able to set himself apart from his peers. And maybe they didn't feel that good about this quarterback class. They're thinking 
there might be somebody else to come along the line. They've still got Eli for those two years. And if they're not really going to compete in those two years and they're not in love with any of the quarterbacks, maybe it makes sense to go and take Barkley. I think if I were making the decision, I wouldn't have done it, but I don't hate it as much as other people out there are just because he does seem to have such a high floor for a prospect and is about as good of a running back prospect as you could dream up. I mean, I get the, so I get that logic. I still think one of the problems is that even if you aren't sold on any of the quarterbacks, these are the quarterbacks you have. You know, you're going to need a quarterback within a year, maybe two years. Uh, and who knows if you're going to be in a position at that point to be drafting a quarterback. Like, I mean, as good as Barkley is, I don't think that the Giants, if they are being honest with themselves and like their self-evaluation, can think that they are just one running back away from being a playoff contending type of team. And if that's the case, I think you need to look to the future and get your quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the ultimate thing, which I'm trying to play devil's advocate there for the pick, but really makes sense, is we know if you go in and you look at the things, running backs just are not. That right. If you look at the day, running backs just aren't winning you games. You know, it, it really starts with the passing game and everything involved with the passing game. You know, we're even seeing a shift now on defense where it's really about having that strong secondary, secondary being able to take away other teams' passing. So the interesting thing here, too, is they could have gone with the quarterback and then still got in Darius Geis, a player that I absolutely yes. love. So, you know... That was one of the things, too, that I guess in hindsight, you don't know he's going to be around, but that makes some of these picks that uh, occurred a little less decent in my mind. So before we finish with Barkley, how good do you think he can be in New York? Do you think that he's good enough that coming out of the gate, he's going to be a first round pick and redraft? Yeah, I I think he absolutely is a first round pick and redraft. And uh, I mean, I think... I say this and I'm out of the Adrian Peterson window in this statement, but I think he's, <laughs> he's, he's the best running back prospect of the last decade. And I mean, I know that I feel like every year, every two years, there's a running back prospect who comes along where you can say something like that. Be like, he's the best running back prospect since Andrew Peterson. And like you, like we've been saying that, uh, you know, for like a slew of guys that was said for Trent Richardson, you know, that, mm-hmm. so it's like that statement might not mean much, but uh, I think holistically, just in terms of what he can do, his biophysical profile, he's young, he's big, he's fast, uh, you know, he's explosive. What he can do as a receiver, he is fantastic oh in the receiving gosh, game. Yeah. You know, that is that is a big plus for him. They're not going to use him as a returner, but he has skills as a return man, which I think speaks to the mm-hmm. overall skill set that he has. And I also think he's probably a better runner than people think. I know that there are um, – you know, people who watch tape. And so I should say like, just out of the, like I respect what they do and they have an understanding of the game that I don't have on that level. So, you know, people who watch tape say that he's not that good of an interior runner. And so one, that might actually be the case. He might not be that good of an interior runner, but two, he might be able to fix that. And three, even if he's not that good of an interior runner, that might not matter because like David Johnson wasn't a good interior runner. And he's like, you know, there are guys who have that tag attached to them when they enter the league and they turn out okay so it's not that big of a deal to me that he's not that good of an interior runner yeah i've heard that knock too i've heard people say that he's going to need to be able to be behind a good line for the interior rushing to to manifest but for me you know when you think about this guy there's a lot of prospects before that people want to say oh well we thought this guy was a generational talent or you know was the best prospect since adrian peterson and he didn't work out but there's a huge difference i mean with barkley as you mentioned you look at the receptions i think i've even i uh, saw that if you look at their freak scores and you look at him as a receiver, he would have had the best freak score. You know, there's a lot of things he did finishing pretty much 90th percentile in every metric and just absolutely crushing college. So, you know, to me, he's a different prospect, especially than a guy like Trent Richardson. And we saw him doing this year in and year out right out of the gate at Penn State. So, I think that he's worthy of a first round pick as well, but I will tell you who is not worthy of a first round pick. And this was the pick that I was going insane. I had a terrible feeling it was coming. It was like I was looking up at a sky full of black clouds. And then the Patriots draft Sony Michelle with pick 31, I believe it was, right? I'm trying to black this yeah. out. What is your take on this? I, I just, I hate this pick. 
so I immediately tweeted worst pick of the first round uh, easily, no question. And I got dragged for that on Twitter. I'm standing by it because I, I think yep. it's the worst pick for multiple reasons. Uh, I think he is a very – in terms of like how they looked as prospects entering the league, he is a Shane Vereen plus type of player. Uh, and I think the Patriots plan to use him in that type of way. He is yep. basically Dion Lewis plus at this point. And that's fine. Like the Patriots have shown that they can use a player like that to great effect within their offense. But, you know, you don't need to acquire that guy with a first round pick. So I, I think it's egregious in that they paid up for a guy like that. And then I think it's doubly egregious because they do need a quarterback at some point. Like, Brady is going to be 41 this year. You know, he says he wants to play until he's 45, but that might not happen. Yeah. You know, like at some point they needed a quarterback. If they had, you know, if they had wanted Lamar Jackson, they could have gotten him there and maybe they didn't want him. And, and that's fine too. But, you know, I think you have a chance to take a quarterback like that. To me, it made much more sense to take him as opposed to Sony Michelle. Uh, you know, but maybe they didn't want to take a quarterback in the first round because maybe that would have caused some tension with Brady. Mm. That's also like a, a possibility for something that was there. But even if that's not the case, I still don't think you take Sony Michelle at the end of the first round. You know, you address some other position and then you take a running back in the second round or the third round or something like that. Right. I mean, for me, it really went back to a couple of things. The first being, if you really had to take a running back, Darius Geis is the guy that you go with there. I think at this point, I don't even need to beat that dead horse. Anybody that's been following the pieces I've been writing on running backs knows that's my take. But I mean, if you look at Michelle, I think that he's very much a redundant asset to what they have. And even if that, if they do feel that he's this special talent, they've shown that they can probably get 85% of that with so many other running backs. You have Burkhead on the roster, James White. They have Hill and Gillisley. It's already a crowded backfield that I just don't think he's going to bring this dimension to the team that wasn't already there. On the flip side, Geis finds himself, I think, in one of the best situations out of any running backs, lands in Washington. What a steal he is for them. Do you think that he's going to have success right out of the bat, or do you think that Rob Kelly and his 11.83 agility score, 473 <laughs> speed is going to keep him off the field? Uh, yeah, I don't think Rob Kelly is going to have much to say about what happens with, with Darius guys. And really, wherever he would have landed, I would have been pretty bullish on his uh, his opportunity for this year and for the future. Uh, but I think, yeah, especially it, it's a great landing spot there. Um, th there's, you know, he will face some competition. And Chris Thompson, you know, will still right. uh, a lot of the receiving work. And, you know, so that's a little unfortunate, but, you know, whatever. That was probably going to happen anyway. It was unlikely for guys to get all of the work. But just kind of, you know, big picture, uh, aside from where he landed, uh, you know, and I think he's a, a fringe first rounder, kind of second rounder on that borderline. He's young, 21 years old. You look at guys like that. Uh, who have entered the league over the last decade. I'm just going to you know, run through the list. Yep. Joe Mixon, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, Beanie Wells, Darren McFadden, Richard Mendenhall, and Jonathan Stewart. Not all of those guys have panned out, but all of those guys, literally every single guy on that list, with the exception of Joe Mixon, who just entered the league last year, yep. all of those guys have had at least one season of 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Like, you can count on production coming from a player like that. So long term, short term, like I am very bullish on guys. Yeah, me too. Well, I think the other thing to look there, you know, you're talking about age. I think in his night at 19 and a half, he was outperforming Leonard Fournette, who we've seen had yeah. a lot of success already. You know, not that you can always say just because one player was better in college than his teammate, you know, that that's necessarily going to translate to the next level. But he's just such a precocious player. I think there's so many things you can point to for him that just uh, point you in the direction of a player that's going to have a successful career. So that brings me to my next question. Do you think that he's going to have a better rookie season than Barkley or is perhaps a Rashad Penny or somebody else out there going to take the rookie fantasy running back of the year award home at the end of the season? <laughs> uh, if we are going from a pick agnostic perspective, so just raw production, I, yep. I think it would be Barkley. That's the guy I would bet on. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys, guys is in the running. Um, 
but I mean, I think Barkley, uh, you know, I think it's going to be Barkley. Yeah. I mean, me too. I, it almost becomes like who's going to be second place. And then you could throw Royce Freeman in the mix. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. you could throw Ronald Jones. Um, really there's just so many good backs in this class. Uh, now a less known name. Well, if you're a, a Rotoviz reader or listener, I'm sure that you've heard of Ito Smith, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously he went later in the draft. The thing I'm wondering for him is when Tevin Coleman's contract expires and he moves on to greener pastures in 2019, can Smith step into that rotation, play alongside Devonta Freeman and become a fantasy relevant type of player? Yeah, I think it's very possible. One thing that's really intriguing to me is that he wasn't invited to the combine, mm-hmm. uh, but he clearly should have been. Yep. He had the production. He had the athleticism. I think a big part of it is just that he's a smaller runner coming from a non-major conference, and I, I think you know he got knocked for that. Um, but his production was prolific. Uh, and I think he can really do it all. He's not a big guy, so he's not going to be counted on to be a workhorse. But you know, look at Devontae Freeman. He's not a big guy either. And, you know, he gets his carries. But Ito Smith, I think eventually could be a guy who's counted on for, you know, somewhere from 8 to 12 touches per game. And the big thing is that he really can function as a runner and a receiver. So uh, I don't know if he has the the innate talent that mm-hmm. we see out of Tevin Coleman, but I think there's a lot of uh, like duplicated skill sets in which he could step in and replace Coleman if and when Coleman eventually leaves the team. Absolutely. And the other interesting thing is I always kind of in my mind, think of Tevin Coleman as a bigger back, but he's really 5'11", 206. So he's not really the biggest back either. Um, and he had success. So I think with a player like Smith, it's definitely a possibility. I'm going to be keeping my eye on him in my dynasty drafts, hoping that I can get him, kind of stash him away for a couple years uh, and see what happens. Now, I mentioned Ronald Jones before he gets taken by the Buccaneers, who are definitely in need of a running back. Then we have Carrion Johnson ending up in Detroit, a team that has been trying to find uh, another back to utilize in addition to Theo Riddick. Whose spot do you like better? I think I would lean towards Jones, but uh, I just want to get your thoughts there. Do you think there is a future for Carrion in Detroit? Yeah, I think there's a future. I mean, it's like since... um Oh man, I can't even remember his name, but the the guy who uh, Javid Best. Oh you my know, like gosh, since, Javid like since, Best. Since yep. him, they've kind of like been looking for that kind of like mid sized guy who is an all around back. Yeah, uh, you know they experimented, uh, you know, with Reggie Bush in that role for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think Johnson has a chance to be the lead back there, but he's going. I think I think there are a couple of things that are really going against him here. One, Theo Riddick, I think, is really entrenched as a passing game back, and he's going to get his work because he's proven that he can be productive with those touches. And then LeGarrette Blunt, I mean, you know, he's going to get the goal <laughs> yep. line carries. So, like, if you're carrying on Johnson, like, what do you have going for you? You're going to have to get, like, the tough yardage, and you're not getting the high leverage touches. Like, that's not a great scenario, at least for year one. Uh, year two, I think, will be better. But for year one, I don't think it looks great. So I think the default is going with Jones. And I don't think Jones is all that great. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think Jones and Johnson are are kind of equivalent, maybe in the same tier. Uh, but I think Jones has a much better landing spot. I just don't think he has quite the competition. Or maybe I should say the competition uh, with the Buccaneers isn't as uh, settled. It's not as entrenched. And it will, you know, some of those guys can be cut. It's, I think, a little more easily uh, pushed to the side and overcome. Right. Well, I had Jones and uh, Johnson in my rankings coming in at seven and eight, respectively, with Royce Freeman beating them out for sixth in my rankings. Now, he ends up in Denver. I think he's going to beat out Devontae Booker. Uh, I don't know if historically you're a Booker fan. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I thought Booker was fine. He was good in college. He hasn't really done much. I mean, part of it is that he was an older guy coming in, not, you know, highly athletic. Uh, I think um, Royce Freeman, I don't want to say will easily beat him out, but I think there's the chance that he does that. Freeman is a much better receiver than he gets credit mm-hmm. for being like for a guy of his size. And then he has good speed. He has good agility for his size, uh, you know, prolifically productive in college. Uh, you know, for a guy who started for all four years 
He's not as old as you might think he would be. I think there's a lot to be very optimistic about with Royce Freeman. He was, uh, I believe, my number five runner in my pre-draft rankings. Mm -hmm. Uh, I might be moving him up a little bit after that. Like, I think the landing spot is pretty good. I, I, I think he has a chance to be a legit workhorse there. Yeah, well, you know, an interesting thing that I wrote about, too, uh, in one of my pieces focused on running backs was there was this perception that Freeman uh, suffered athletically after his injury in the beginning of his junior Mm -hmm. year. But I actually pulled the college play-by-play data and went back. And if you look at it, on runs over uh, 20 or more yards, he actually... Two, like it, um, on a percentage basis, 2% more of his runs went for 20 or more yards, and he had the same amount of over 40 and 50 pre and post injury. So, this narrative that he lost his explosiveness isn't really true, and he was one of the more explosive backs in the class. So, like you said, though there's you know four years on the resume, I think he wasn't as impacted by the wear and tear that he might have had as some people from the film watching community would believe. Uh, And finally, to round things off, I skipped over this on the sheet probably because I wanted to save the best for last, but I I love Nick Chubb. He was one of my favorite players in the class. I was a little disappointed by the landing spot, not in that I don't think he has the ability to beat out Carlos Hyde, but I think like you said, when you listed off the, the, players that Cleveland has. There's a lot of talent there now, especially with Duke Johnson pretty much entrenched uh, in that passing game. I don't see him getting the workload to be as relevant in year one as I would have liked. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, but I it wouldn't be surprising if by the middle of the season, uh, you know, he had banished Carlos Hyde to the bench and he were getting uh, the majority of the first and second down touches. And I think long term, I'm still very optimistic on what Chubb can do in that offense. Uh, you know, because Duke Johnson, this is his last year with the team under his rookie contract. He could leave next year. Like, it really wouldn't be mm. surprising if next year Duke Johnson weren't with the team and Carlos Hyde weren't with the team, you know, and, and somehow they had another, you know, kind of change of pace back, but like that Nick Chubb were getting a lot of the work there. Uh, I think that's very possible. So uh, yeah, I'm very optimistic on his future. So before we uh, move along, I just want to take a couple minutes to tell you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the off-season, but not for the FFPC. If you're ready to draft now, The FFPC Best Ball Leagues are drafting daily with entry fees starting at just $35. They have both slow and live drafts. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single Dynasty league has folded in eight years. New Dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching right after the NFL draft. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. And uh, if I could, if I could jump in right here, yep. I would just like to give a, a quick additional plug. Uh, the FFPC is fantastic. They've been a longtime supporter of the podcast. Uh, so it, it does really mean a lot uh, for us and also for them. If you're looking for some action, whether it's best ball, whether it's dynasty and the dynasty league, leagues they have are fantastic, uh, you know, to to put some action there at FFPC. Uh, and they've been generous enough to uh, give us some free spots and leagues to give away to some listeners. Uh, and so listen to future shows. We're going to be giving away some spots there. But uh, definitely uh, my FFPC.com. Check it out. Uh, they are very good to us and, and good to the people who play on their platform. Yeah. And just to kind of throw in my two cents on this here, I'm actually in the markets to uh, add a couple of dynasty squads to my rotation this year. I've only, I'm only in one currently and I'm looking for a place to play. And I actually decided that that, uh, it, the FFPC is where I'm going to do it. So who knows? You might even end up in a league with me. Uh, but maybe in the future, I can get DJ Moore on a team who I think, and many at Rotovisfia, was the best receiver in the class. He goes to the Panthers. Were you surprised by this at all? And for a 2018 outlook, where do you put him? I love him. I'm going to keep going with the questions. Is he also the number one wide receiver in Dynasty for you? A lot of questions there. 
So uh, I should say I did a mock draft uh, at Fantasy Labs, and one of the only things I got right was having DJ Moore going to the Panthers at the 24th pick. So uh, I should say I I wasn't surprised, or maybe I was surprised that I actually got something right. But uh, yeah, DJ Moore, totally fine with him as the number one receiver in the class off the board. I had him as the number two. I preferred Cortland Sutton, but like I wouldn't quibble with Sutton versus Moore as the the top two guys. Uh, 2018 outlook, you know, it's it's hard for rookie quarterbacks. Uh, sorry for uh, for rookie wide receivers, uh, and we don't really know how heavily they are going to want to use him. They they still have Devin Funches there. They still have Greg Olson. Uh, there might be a little more action going to Curtis Samuel. Still a lot of targets that are going uh, to to Christian McCaffrey. So. Um, I think he has potential, and I don't mind him as the number one dynasty uh, wide receiver in rookie drafts, but I'm probably not going to be super optimistic on him for this season. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that it uh, is a situation where it might take them a little bit of time to figure out how to best to use him and uh, kind of reshape him into that offense, or I guess reshape the offense to include him. Now, I liked the landing spot for Calvin Ridley in Atlanta. Um but who do you think ended up in the best long-term situation? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So just to, to talk about Ridley for a second, yep. uh, he's always struck me as kind of an, an underachiever. And so, like, we know he's old. He's not as athletic as, you know, people thought he would be. But, you know, apparently he's a very crisp route runner. It, you know, a lot of a lot of the good things that the people who watch film Well, when you've had 24 for, years to, uh, run those, <laughs> to run those routes, right, you should be good at it. So, you know, so, like, I, I've always thought, like, he seems like a number two, not a number one. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's actually in a very good position to function as the number two across from Julio Jones. You know, or maybe you would say like number two slash three because Mohamed Sanu is also there. But the, the point is he doesn't have to have the pressure of being the number one guy. Uh, you know, it's a very kind of Reggie Wayne uh, situation where he had the benefit in the early part of his career of not having to be the number one guy, even though he was a first round pick, you know, so I think it's a good long term situation for Calvin Ridley. You know, maybe he can develop and then eventually, you know, at some point, Julio Jones won't be there. Maybe Calvin Ridley then can sort of transition into a number one-esque type of receiver. So I think out of the potential landing spots for Calvin Ridley, it's about as good as it could have been, even if that means he's not going to get the wealth of targets that he otherwise might have. I Mm -hmm. think long-term for him, it's probably a good situation. Um, But I, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing where this wide receiver class is not that good. Like there are some guys individually that I do like, but I don't think any of them really ended up in some great spots. Uh, but the one guy I might want to touch on a little bit yep. is Traquan Smith. I think is really interesting with the Saints. He's not going to get a lot of opportunity immediately, but I think he was a very undervalued prospect. Uh, and you know, and then he went in the third round to a team that has a very good system, a very good quarterback. Uh, I think at some point he will get his opportunity there. Yeah, the interesting thing now when you start thinking about the Saints is you almost lose sight with all the talk about how old Tom Brady is that Drew Brees is 39. So to me, it's going to be very interesting to see if that team can maintain its identity, which that team is already starting to shift away from what we might think of in our minds, definitely focusing more on the ground game. The defense is getting better. So it's going to be interesting as we try to project these guys into New Orleans moving forward. Now, another interesting prospect was Christian Kirk, who in Anthony Amico's post-draft wide receiver model now sinks in at third he was taken by the cardinals i'm not really sure what to expect they have an older larry fitzgerald and then they have some guys that i've been waiting to break out to come through you know your jerron browns jj nelson but nothing has materialized is there an opportunity for him there and do you think that he's the type of player that can have success at the next level yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if it had been Bruce Arians drafting Christian Kirk, I would have been highly excited. But uh, you, you know, in, in the in the beat reporter series that I did, yep. um, the beat I talked to about the Cardinals said that uh, they are very much looking to transition to more of a run heavy approach. So leaning more on David Johnson and really minimizing the extent to which they would be counting on Sam Bradford to win games through the air, uh, and so. 
you know, it's a situation where Christian Kirk and also just looking at the role that he played with AM, he was in the slot a lot with AM. And I mean, where's he, like, it's not that Christian Kirk must be a slot receiver, but that is where he has had success. Mm-hmm. But Larry Fitzgerald is clearly going to be there this year, which means Christian Kirk will kick to the outside. JJ Nelson or Bryce Butler will be on the other side. And so it's a question of, can Kirk successfully move to the outside? Uh, and then next year, assuming that this is the last year with Fitzgerald and they want to move Kirk back inside, will he kind of be without the benefit of a year of working on the inside in the NFL? So will that kind of slow his development a little bit? But then just holistically, how much is this team really going to be throwing to the wide receivers anyway? I don't know if they're going to be doing it all that much. Um, or I should say, Outside of uh, Larry Fitzgerald and then outside of David Johnson, what players on that team are going to be expected to get a wealth of targets? I don't think that many. So he's an intriguing player. He was very versatile. He had, you know, uh, special teams touchdowns. He had a lot going for him. Um, I just don't know if it's a great landing spot for him. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. I have trouble considering guys uh, on Arizona for next season. There's just really nobody that gets me excited, and I feel like it's kind of just a blah type of situation. But on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, Jamon Moore goes to the Packers, who have lots of air yards available, and they had the best receiving opportunity score of all teams. Aaron Rodgers is back in the fold. Brett Hundley will be back on the bench. Do you think that Moore is the type of guy that can be a surprise this year maybe? And does this raise his dynasty stock for you now that he lands in Green Bay? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. But, uh, you know, he's going to have to compete with, uh, you know, two very established receivers there for touches. And then he's also going to have to compete with two other, you know, rookies who were drafted specifically uh, Equinemius St. Brown, Mm -hmm. uh, who might be able to leapfrog him. And and then that's not even taking into account the other receivers who were on the roster before roster before he got there. So like Geronimo Allison, like, is he the guy who could, who could win that third job? So I am uh, optimistic about Jamon Moore. He was productive at Missouri, Uh, you know, good size, good, uh, you know, size adjusted agility. Um, And it's not going to be a situation where Randall Cobb is there forever. So there will be targets short term and long term opening up. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. He's a fourth round pick. I try not to get super optimistic about fourth round wide receivers. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's the opportunity there. I had him entering the draft ranked ninth on my wide receiver board. I think he's probably still around there, maybe a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to to take him with a, a first round pick in a rookie draft. Right. Where did you have uh, St. Brown out of curiosity then? Uh, you know, I felt like I was bullied and <laughs> I had a number eight, um, you know, but, but like so much of that was based on. Well, so based on what he did as a sophomore and then also the projection of where I thought he would be drafted, I thought a team would draft him on day two. Yeah, me too. I was really surprised that he that he stuck around as long as he did. Yeah. So, you know, for given that he did drop so far, like we can say like, oh, well, the Packers got him at a discount. But at the same time, that's the valuation that the league saw fit to give him and whether he actually uh, is more talented than the players we normally see drafted with that type of pick. Uh, that's the draft capital he has invested for him, and that is predictive of the usage and the opportunities he's going to get moving forward. So uh, given that St. Brown is a six-round pick, I don't think we should be super high on him. Um, but you know, like just holistically, there are enough other guys there who will limit the ability that Moore has to get touches. Right. And it's also probably worth mentioning for those of you uh, out there in Dynasty, I believe he has a couple of brothers that are supposed to be better than he is. So that's going to be something else I'm watching for. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. I don't know if you know them. No, uh, I, I think they are as uh, as bold as Equinemius, though. They, you know, they they are in that type of vein, right? Uh, so before we move on to tight ends, your favorite wide receiver in the class before the draft, who was that, and did that change? Yeah, Cortland Sutton and DJ Moore was very close, um, but for for me, it was just I liked Sutton's size. I thought he was fast enough, and he had fantastic agility. Uh, but then also, like I should say, you know, in my uh, highlight scouting that I did on YouTube, uh, 
you know, I like he's, you know, he's a former basketball player. Like I liked the physicality that he showed. And like, that's not just me with my like uninformed decision or like un- uninformed analysis. Like there, right. there are actual people who watch film who say that like he is very good at using his body. Uh, and you know, a, a guy with multiple years of production, multiple seasons of a thousand yards and 10 receiving touchdowns. Uh, you know, so I think he's kind of in that vein, not in terms of pure, uh, market share, but I think he's sort of like a Corey Davis, Josh Doxson, uh, Devonte Adams, Michael Crabtree type of player. Uh, and so I think he was worthy of a first round pick. I understand him not going that high. I think, it, you know, the day two pick is fine. I don't think it's a fantastic landing spot, uh, just because, you know, in year one, he is going to lose targets to Demarius Thomas and Manny Sanders. But, yep. you know, I think at some point very quickly, he could, uh, overtake one or both of those guys. It wouldn't be surprising if in year two, year three, he was to me, you know, a top 10 receiver in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's within his range of outcomes. And just to kind of hit upon what you said with, you know, watching some of the, the film and taking a look at it, you know, obviously, like most of the Rotoviz team, I am well on the side of looking at the metrics, but I too will also just check out some tape on them to kind of contextualize how they accrued their college production and look for things that seem like they would translate into the NFL. So, you know, it's interesting to hear other people talk about how there is a way to kind of incorporate that. Uh, And I kind of did the same thing when looking at a lot of the running backs. Now, I did not focus that much on tight ends (laughs) during the draft, but I was not expecting a team to draft two of them, uh, which the Ravens did, taking Hayden Hurst at 25 and Mark Andrews at 86. What do you make of this? Uh, you know, what's so what's really interesting is that they've done this before. Um, they did Dennis Pitta and Ed Dixon in the same year. And I did not know that. A, and then a couple of years later, they did Max Williams. Oh, and Crocky Gilmore Nick, was it? Or? And Nick Boyle. Oh my gosh, that's same. right. So, so like, and then at different points, they they added Crocky Gilmore, and then there was another tight end that they added in there somewhere. Like they just go after tight ends, and I'm like, okay, well, this might be what you get when you have a Hall of Fame tight end as your like general manager. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> gonna, he's gonna fire at the position and being like, bros, I know tight ends when I see them, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't expecting them to go after two tight ends, but it's something that they've done before. What's what's interesting, and obviously small sample, but yeah. it's interesting that the second guy in the pairing has has been the one who's had more success to this point. And Mark Andrews, to me, is he was the better prospect. Part of it is uh, Hayden's Her- Hayden Hurst. He's older. You know, it, it takes tight ends uh, a little bit of time to develop. Uh, so. That's one knock against Hurst. And then secondly, uh, he had only three receiving touchdowns in college. Like that's very paltry, you know, yeah. like and then you have Mark Andrews, who's just like that basically functioning as the number one receiver in Oklahoma's offense. Um, Hurst probably has more capability to transition into your, your classic sort of like two way tight end who can line up in line outside. He can block. He can receive. Mark Andrews is more of that pure kind of big bodied slot receiver who's just tagged as the, the tight end designation. Um, but that, you know, for fantasy, I still think that's fine. And if that's how they end up using him, you know, I think Andrews could have uh, the superior career. But, yeah, I think for the short term, it's it's possible that uh, they will cannibalize each other. And it's very possible that Hurst, who might not be as good, uh, will be the guy who gets the first shot at the job. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I can see how you could say, you know, maybe there's two different roles that they expect them to play. Yeah, but it's kind of for, you know, for me, if I'm thinking about it, well, all right, if you want to take two different tight ends, have them play two different roles, do you really need to take one of them in the first round? You know, like I would think that there'd want to be very specific reasons that you like these guys and you take them. And it just kind of feels like, like you said, they just want to draft tight ends. So, you know, maybe it will pan out, but definitely for their fantasy perspectives, not the type of thing that you like to see. Now, a player that a lot of people were high on ends up in an interesting situation. That's Mike Kosecki. Ends up in Miami. Jarvis Landry's gone. Opens up some targets, but they did bring in Albert Wilson. Um, there's some change-ups there. Obviously, Danny Amendola. 
Does this give him any chance to contribute early? Um, you know, there's been tight ends before that have come in to Miami that people have been excited about. And it just hasn't panned out. Yeah, I think uh, out of the rookie tight ends, and I think there should probably be only maybe like, you know, four or five that people are kind of interested in, maybe even long term. But Gesicki is is the guy, I think. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, like some of the first round tight ends last year, and I know Gesicki isn't a first rounder, but like some of the, the, you know, premium tight ends last year who ended up, some of those guys were drafted in the first round of rookie drafts. It would not surprise me if there were people who actually decided to take a sickie with a first round pick, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, the athleticism that he has, you know, world class athlete. He was productive at Penn State. And then he he has this perfect landing spot where he's going to be the starter right away or seemingly the starter. And I, I can't imagine like based on the depth chart that they have or like lack of a depth chart that they have that anyone other than Gesicki is the starter in week one. Uh, and I think he has the ability to contribute right away in a very, you know, Evan Ingram esque type of manner because he is that type of player. They're not going to be expecting him to line up in line and to be chipping defensive ends and blocking. Like he's basically a big bodied slot receiver. And as you mentioned, they are without their slot receiver now. Like he is probably mm. the guy that they will be relying on for a lot of that production. Yeah, and just a reminder for everybody out there, he absolutely destroyed the combine. 4.5440, 41-inch vertical, 129-inch broad, 6.763 cone, 22 uh, reps on the bench. This guy is just about as athletic as a tight end can come. Uh, so definitely a lot to be excited about there. Ian Thomas goes to Carolina. They have 36-year-old Greg Olson, who's still there. Ed Dixon's now in Seattle. Does that open up an, un, you know, an opportunity for him to make an unlikely early impact? Uh, and you know, from a dynasty perspective, even if you don't think he's going to contribute this year, is he a player that you're targeting? Yeah, I think he's so he's not a player I'm targeting, but he's a player I think should be targeted. I, th I think he probably should be, you know, held in deep dynasty leagues as, you know, one of the last guys on the bench because he does have that potential. Uh, you know, he is a good athlete. He did have some good production. Um, and at some point, Greg Olson is going to retire. So there is some upside there. Um, I just I probably won't have him on my team, but I think he should be held in dynasty leagues. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I I find uh, tight end in dynasty to be the toughest position for me, just because, like we've mentioned with a lot of these guys, there's such a waiting game to it. Um, there are any sneaky guys at the tight end position that you might be looking to get on your team? Absolutely not. <laughs> with tight ends, it's, I don't think it's a good tight end class anyway. But then, e even if it's a good tight end class, what does that mean? Like half of those guys, you still have to wait on for a couple of years. So, uh, no, uh, none of these guys am I really looking at uh, to to have on my team. You know, and I'll be wrong. You know, one of them, like one of the you know ten tight ends taken in the bottom half of the draft, will probably have some decent production at some point. But you know, I, the odds that I pick that guy are really low. So I'm just I'm not even going to try. Absolutely. And I feel like what's going to happen is for the next couple of years when we bring up these uh, age curves for tight ends and talk about it taking a while for these guys to hit, people are going to keep pointing to uh, Evan Ingram. But there was a, you know, an isolated set of circumstances that happened there, particularly with OBJ uh, being removed from the offense. Uh, you know, an older Brandon Marshall there who, uh, you know, really wasn't able to perform for them. So there was things that kind of broke that way, which you can't expect with all of these prospects. So I guess the final question that uh, I'll ask you, Matt, before we get out of here, what was, do you have a favorite pick in the draft or just, you know, maybe something that really stood out to you, surprised you leave us, you know, with a final takeaway. Oh man. Well, I can't say it was a, a favorite pick, but uh, Rashad Penny going to the Seahawks in the first round blew my mind. Uh, as, especially as the second back off the board going before Darius guys. Uh, and I mean, I should say it's very weird. I had him ranked as the number two back mm -hmm. in my rankings at Fantasy Labs, but I never expected, you know, that was even with me thinking that he would be a second or a third round pick. I never thought at all that he had any chance of going in the first round. So, it, you know, it's kind of incredible because that, you know, from a, uh, a kind of metrical perspective of coming up with a model that juices the probability that he will have NFL success. Right. Um, but, you know, it also... It totally destroyed any value 
that he was going to offer in dynasty leagues. Like I was excited about the prospect of knowing like, okay, he's a guy I'm going to get in every dynasty league I'm in because, you know, he's going to be a second or a third round pick instead of a first round pick. He's going to be kind of ignored, uh, you know, but he has a lot of potential. And now like that is totally gone. He's going to go easily in the first round, you know, maybe one of the top six picks in the first round. So, it's exciting to see that the NFL actually did value him the way that I valued him. But in that happening, it totally destroyed any functionality he will have for me in Dynasty. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting thing. Obviously, uh, he comes in at number two, as readers will know, uh, facing off against Barkley in the road of his running back Sweet 16. Yet in the RSI that we were doing where we're aggregating rankings across a number of more film and tape um, focused sites, he was seventh. So it was definitely a surprise, especially seeing him go before the likes of Geis and Nick, Nick Chubb, like you mentioned. Um, so Penny's going to be one of those interesting guys. He's going to have opportunity right out of the gate, and maybe he can be one of those Roto's Viz guys that we hit on, unlike Bishop Sankey. Oh God! Don't even miss it. Oh man, that was that's like a, I feel like a low blow. Like welcome, welcome back to the show, man. Boom, Bishop Sankey. Man, oh uh, man, gosh. I, I feel like some of my my passwords are still like Bishop Sankey for like different roto music. <laughs> like Bishop Sankey's the password. It's horrible. Oh my gosh, did you make those before or uh, after the bust occurred? Oh, before they were totally unironic and I never, I never changed them. Uh, just, you know, as the, the constant reminder that one needs to be humble. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I think on that note, we're going to close down the first episode that we're back on RV radio. But, uh, I do have to remind people that as Matt said, uh, leaving a review and subscribing to the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. If you do that, you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry into a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to future episodes. If you hear your name, you're the winner. And today's winner is Preston Perkins. So Preston, if you're listening, shoot us an email uh, and we will get you all set up and everybody else out there. Make sure that if you want to play in a FFPC league with some of the podcasters and writers from the site that uh, you leave your review and email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. That's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattFTheOracle. I got that right, didn't I? Perfect. Perfect. Yep, the Oracle. Uh, this has been the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount. You can visit our homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.